Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the Executive Director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nouwen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry Nouwen to audiences around the world. Each week, we endeavor to bring you a new interview with someone who's been deeply influenced by the writings of Henry Nouwen, or someone whose own writing is an important valued resource to spiritual seekers. We invite you to share the daily meditations in these podcasts with your friends and family. Through them, we can continue to introduce new audiences to the writings and the teachings of Henry Nouwen and remind each listener that they are beloved by God. Now, let me take a moment to introduce today's guest. Today on this podcast, I have the pleasure of talking with Sister Joan Chichester. Joan is an internationally recognized writer and lecturer and the executive director of Benevision, a resource and research center for contemporary spirituality in Erie, Pennsylvania. Joan is a Benedictine sister of Erie. She served as the president of the Leadership Conference of Women Religious and the Conference of Benedictine Prioresses. And Joan was the prioress of the Benedictine Sisters of Erie for 12 years. Joan Chichester has authored 60 books and received numerous awards for her work on behalf of peace, justice, and women in the church and society. Today, I want to talk with Joan about her latest book, The Monastic Heart. Welcome, Joan, to this episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Well, I look forward to it, uh, Karen. I, I have such respect for Henry, uh, of course, but I also have a great respect for the uh, Henry Nouwen um, Foundation. Uh, you're, you're doing a phenomenal job of maintaining that work at a time when the world needs it most. I, I just want to thank you. I know it's not an easy thing to do. Oh, how kind of you. That that means a great deal. I I want to say that this book feels wonderfully doable. Uh, the subtitle is 50 Simple Practices for a Contemplative and Fulfilling Life. I love the way you tie contemplative with fulfilling. Who doesn't want a fulfilling life? <laughs> yeah, good, you're right. Yeah, we're living through this awful pandemic, this endless pandemic. I mean, why do we need a monastic heart? And how will this help us through these troubled times? Well, in the first place, I, I, I want to uh, advert to your recognition that fulfilling and contemplative are, in my uh, uh, vocabulary at least, synonyms. Contemplative scares people off. They think you mean that you are to uh, curl up in a corner in a fetal position and lose all contact with, with uh, reality and the rest of life. On the contrary, the contemplative person adds layers of life to their own experience by being willing to look at what's going on at, and at one level of life. And what we are know about that intuitively or otherwise ourselves about what's missing in life as we see it here. So, yeah, see, I... I, I I entitled the book with a, with a certain degree of, of hesitancy, uh, and yet I felt it was worthwhile to say that, the, that to live like this is fulfilling. It will give you more than it will take away. On the contrary, it helps you create another attitude uh, toward the things you see within you as well as outside of you. So 
my idea of of uh, developing a monastic heart is then not. I do not mean that this will enable you to withdraw from life. I argue that it, it means that you will be able to take the, the twists and turns of life with more equanimity if you have given yourself to thinking things through and to understanding that there is a spiritual dimension of us that needs to be fulfilled. And I'm not talking about a denominational uh, development. I'm talking about uh, uh, honoring the rest of yourself, the, the feeling spiritual part of yourself. So I think if, if you go to the last chapter of the book, I, I think I, I'm very clear about what, what the monastic heart brings to the world. So for instance, I say monasticism is driven by the spirit of tradition. When the pandemic came and I watched one church door after another closing, one university door after another closed, one local uh, civic committee not meeting anymore, one neighborhood where we hadn't seen the neighbors come out of the front door of the house for months. I said to myself, this is, this is a, a, yes, a, a, a global calamity. But more than that, it is a test of the frailty of society. Uh, the only thing we were able to do was endure, endure the separation, endure the fear, endure the death, endure the loss of the jobs, endure the, the lack of, uh, of neighborhood parties, endure. We had to endure. And so I said to myself, how, how are we going to do that, John? What, what will enable people to sustain themselves? Where, where can we go to find a way out in a period of such depth, such darkness, and such distance? And I decided that maybe the best way to do it was to kind of scrape away the, uh, all the cultural uh, elements of a pandemic and look for an internal wisdom. What has been with us for years that has sustained us through every generation to this time, every century to this time? Now, Karen, I'm a Benedictine. And, and uh, the Benedictine order is the oldest order in the Catholic Church. There is nothing older uh, than the Church itself. So Benedictinism is itself over 1,500 years old. And it rests on one tiny little book about five inches tall and four and a half inches wide called The Rule of Benedict with 72 very short single page or half page ideas and and i said to myself when something has lasted for 1500 years in this in this culture surely somebody ought to say how did they do that how can anything last in, in for 1500 years we're people who know that the local bank 
will go down in 12 years. We know that Penny and Sears and, and um, uh, Rite Aid would always be on our corner, except they aren't anymore, or they're closed now, or they just have taken everything and put it online. So if we live in a revolving door society, where can we find any stable wisdom? And for me, that was in monasticism. So I looked at this monasticism that is being driven by the spirit of tradition that preserved and relished the ancient history of life. It gave us uh, actually a kind of a, a sense of changelessness. We know what we believed in. We know how this has operated. We know that we have been operating it in the United States of America for almost 200 years. It's driven by the spirit of tradition. It is going to be here tomorrow. It was here yesterday. It's going to be here in 100 years from now as it was 100 years ago. But it doesn't live in the past. I'm not saying that. But it makes the past and, and wisdom that has been tried for 1,500 years and is still here, both our present and our future. It gives us a basis. I really enjoyed how history was woven through this book. It was yes. so helpful to me. It was so informative to me. You dare to say it's the spirit of monasticism that's been the rudder of the Western world. Uh, coming to the book, I couldn't help but wonder, well, am I going to need to join a group? Am I going to need to be a part of a monastery in order to live this today? Tell me how you take this out from the walls of the monastery into the world. This is about fulfillment. It's not about membership. It's not about asking people to do. Remember, we were in a pandemic, completely distanced from one another. I'm not talking about getting people together in anybody's new monastery. I'm talking about that second dimension of the monastic heart, which is the monastic heart is driven by the spirit of reflection. And we were we were all locked in our houses, and we still are to a certain extent. Uh, we haven't gone back to what it looked like uh, two years and two months ago. We We now have learned that thinking, reflecting, is an important part of life. We get up every day and ask what the numbers are. We get up every day and ask who's in better shape than they were yesterday, who's in worse shape, and what can we do about it? And we ask now questions about why and what and how shall we go on living in a world that is highly technological, almost totally urban. We're, this is not the flu epidemic where, where two-thirds of uh, the country lived in, the, uh, in an agricultural setting and didn't get sick at all because nobody was out there. We now live in a world where two-thirds of the world lives in cities. And so we are constantly interacting with one another's life and one another's illnesses. So this spirit of reflection calls us to think how we can do all of this best. That's where contemplation has come in. Having created us, God wants us to do at this particular moment what 
what needs to be done here and now and well. So you, if you have tradition and you have a spirit of reflection, which means you are thinking things through both uh, spiritually, psychologically, and socially, you are not falling apart because you can't handle this or think we're under attack from, from um, aliens. We know that this is a natural part of a natural world, and we have to naturally adjust ourselves differently to live with it now. That gives us then uh, a, a, another element of the monastic heart, which is the spirit of personal growth and development. Monasticism is not about debasing people to become children under control. Monasticism is what grows people up. It welcomes development. Our monasteries are only as strong as our strongest people. We educate everybody, for instance. We take every single gift of every single sister and we release it. We don't leash it in the name of holiness. We release it in society so that it can bring uh, a, a new kind of presence there. So when you have tradition and you, when you have reflection and when you commit to personal growth of de and development, then you open a new part of the monastic heart, which is the spirit of service. We are here for one another. We're here for creation. We're here. Remember that, yes, God created the world, but God did not complete it. God left the completion of creation to us, and that is the biggest responsibility we have. That is the spirit of service that we have to bring to everything, and it is driven finally by the spirit of transcendence. This world is not all there is. There is in this world the energy of a creative God and, and the responsibilities that come to creation and our part in it. We, when, you, when you look at this, at this situation then that we're in now, and you know that, uh, that 1,500 years have passed in, an, in a, a culture that is driven by the spirit of tradition, by the spirit of reflection, in the service of personal growth and development, in a commitment to the spirit of service for everyone, and finally, then, a spirit of human community. That means we're all in this together. We must all come to our fullness. We must bring our families and our groups to fullness, and we must live through this latest natural event with as much heart as we possibly can because we are also driven by the spirit of transcendence. That's a very full life, uh, Karen. That is not cutting ourselves off from anything or demanding membership or uh, rule-keeping or even personal um, events or spiritual exercises. We're talking about the growth of the spirit the depth of the heart, the opening of community, and the ability to live together in one another's service. 
I think that's pretty, that's a lot of fullness. That's not asking people to go into small groups, to withdraw from the world, uh, to worry only about themselves, to have no feeling about the relationship and the grace of God moving through this. Doesn't feel like like the grace of God, but it has given us a lot of new ways to look at life. Joan, I love what you're sharing. It's full. It's it is the overflow. It is the the fact that you have this kind of depth in you has obviously is the in a sense the uh, the endorsement for what you're sharing in this monastic heart book because there's the overflow of wisdom. I loved a phrase I came across, which you state in the book. You say. One great Benedictine virtue is enoughness. Can you explain that to me? What do you mean by enoughness? Oh, yes, it's a, it's a word I use often, Karen. You know, uh, we have, we struggle as, as um, unselfish people of, of every denomination with, uh, with what commercialism, consumerism, um, power, wealth, always laying one level of and, and uh, element of life on top of the other. And, and, and half of the time we feel guilty about it, and the other half of the time we say, what, what, else, what else is there to do? We're supposed to do this, and that's true. So I stopped using all those words because there's nothing wrong with those words. Those aren't bad words. Commerce, commercialism, consumerism, capitalism, those have all served us very, very well in large part, in large part. So, but I began to use the word enoughness, a sense of enoughness. Everybody has to have what they need, and they have to have it in the quantities uh, that is, is necessary for their own development as well as the development of the world around them. I have no problem with wealth whatsoever. I do not chastise people for being rich. What I care about is not how much money you have, but what you do with it. What are we doing with the rest of it? What are we doing for other people? So I call repeatedly for a sense of enoughness. I have, I, 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 I always say this, how... How many houses can we live in at one time? How many boats can we drive? How many airplanes can we own? Um, when we have enough both to uh, manage our personal development, our family's development, uh, then it's time for us to ask what we are doing for everybody else's development. And I, I consider that the key to human community. You know, what, what can we do to help most in the Ukraine, in Afghanistan, in dear, dear Haiti that is still living in tents after the very first storm? What in God's name are they doing now? And who is helping them do it? Enoughness is, in my mind, the great Christian virtue. It doesn't ask us to, to deny our own children anything. It simply says when, when we have what we need and what is important 
to our own development, our country's development, our, our city's development, what else can we do? And what else should we be doing? That comes out of our sense of enoughness. Another portion of, of this book, the book, The Monastic Heart, talks about humility. In fact, there's three chapters there. But in reality, I learned there's 12 steps in the Benedictine practice of the ladder of humility. Maybe you might tell me a little bit about this. And I thought it was so fascinating. I wondered if this is really one of the places where you very much connect with Henry Nouwen, because Benedict is called the great psychologist. That's right. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the great virtues was Henry's longing to understand the human heart and how heart and faith come together, heart, mind, and faith come together. Maybe this might be a place where we can bring Henry into our conversation a bit. Oh, I, I, you're, you're so right, because Henry, frankly, was the model of humility as far as I'm concerned. Now, let's look at what you picked up that so far nobody else has said anything about, and it has always surprised me. It is, humility is a, a, a 12-step program in the rule of Benedict. But the interesting thing is, most spirituality programs, most uh, um, theological um, arenas, uh, at least when we were kids, what they were teaching us was, if you did so many of this, uh, gave up so many of that, um, tried so much of this, was so good to those, that eventually what would happen to you, Karen? You'd get God. We started at nothingness in, out of that mentality. And we developed and developed and we got, we, uh, we fasted and we gave great alms and we were, uh, you know, uh, withdrew from, from uh, frivolity or trivia. We were warriors of, of Jesus, warriors of God. And our, our, our warrior self was giving up one thing after another, 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 another until there was nothing left of us, and that was supposed to be humility. And the, the, the distinction between humility and humiliation lost reality. Humility is not humiliation, and humiliations do not bring humility. They bring anger. They bring pain. They bring fear. But they do not bring a, a rich and loving life now. Where did I get that? Did I make that up? No, no. No, no, no. In the rule of Benedict, this tiny, tiny little spiritual document that has lasted for 1,500 years has a chapter on humility that has 12 degrees. The first degree, first four degrees are all about your relationship to God. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, Karen. Benedict says... God, here's what you have to be aware of. The first degree of humility is that you recognize the presence of God and that you live in awe of it. Think of the weight of those words, Karen. He's saying, don't give me this, this stuff that you're going to buy God 
with so many rosaries and so many fast days and so many um, almsgiving. You can't buy God. You can't merit God. Merit theology is false. Nobody can worm their way into God by adding one more number to anything. And why does he say you can't merit God? Because he says you already have God. Stop. Stop. Realize what I'm saying. You you are not unworthy of God. You're not going to climb a ladder and get to God at the top. You and God are going through life together. Be in awe of that. Understand what is being said. God is creation. Creation is all made out of the same things. All the scientists will tell you that now. That means that God is in the pores of your soul. You already have God. That's where those first four degrees of humility come. Recognize first that you have God. Secondly, accept then the will of God for you. And number three, find good, wise, holy people who will help guide you on your way. And number four, um, confess to them. Let them know who you are. Let them help you begin your own growth. Those are the first four steps of humility. The second four steps from five through, through, uh, through eight says also, Karen, get to know yourself. Uh, quit quit uh, making excuses for your failures. Quit expecting the highest uh, seat at the table, the best chair in the house, the finest car for yourself. Just be alive. Be honest about yourself. Make, make amends, you know. I have given this this presentation so many times in so many groups, and at the end of the presentation, somebody comes up and says to me, Sister Joan, do you know, that sounds, uh, uh, are you familiar with AA? Not really. <laughs> not really, no, I'm not. But I can tell you this much. People who are say, this is exactly the AA program. What comes to mind to me is a, a line that has has held me through my life. True humility is the freedom to be known for who you really are. There you go. You push us into saying, okay, don't run away from that. Yes. Look at who you really are. It, there's freedom in it. There's yes. real freedom when you stop putting on the, the false self. And there again, I find myself really linking to Henry now and in, in his understanding. It was interesting because... In the midst of all of that and what you've just described was that sense of his truly understanding that the self in him, which he could talk about self-hatred, really got that he was God's beloved, was the heart of this. It's really the heart of humility, isn't it? 
that God loves us, as you said in those first four. Take yeah. us on farther. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I love that that reality that you call us to know ourselves. <laughs> it's right on, Karen. I'm, I'm so grateful that you added that because that was Henry's continuing search and Henry's continuing plea. And then Benedict adds four more, and that is the way you treat others. Take care of others. Don't laugh at them. Don't sneer at them. Don't make fun of them. Um, uh, honor them. Reverence them. Raise them up. So there are the 12 degrees of humility. And it's your relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, and your relationship with others. I feel it is such an important chapter. It is such an important approach to life that, to be quite frank, uh, I couldn't do it in, in in one short chapter. So I did it in three. You're the only person who has really <laughs> been aware of that. Say, what's wrong with her? She, she, what, what is she writing here? But you got it, Karen. Thank you. It, there's so many parts of this book that I have loved, and there's so many things I'm going to go diving into. I'm going to go back and take my time and step through. One of the things that I thought was interesting was you remind us of the importance of a beginner's mind on this spiritual journey. And yeah. and I love the fact that you link that to every faith looks at that. I, th- I thought that was fascinating, the, the importance of the beginner's mind. Yes. Well, you know, that's a, that's a very strong Asian concept as well. And what it, what it really says uh, in, in Western uh, language, I think, is Every single thing, every single day, every single person can teach us something new. And we must be looking for it, ready for it, and accept it. Because in our fullness lies our fullness of development. And that, if you don't allow yourself to develop, if you can't take uh, when you go into the office and some kid comes in and says, you don't have to do that anymore, you know. All you have to do is press those two buttons. And if if you are insulted by this rather than happy to learn something new, then there's a part of you that will not grow because you've capped your own growth. The beginner's mind says, in the morning, it's all out there. I always get very amused by the fact that uh, the Benedictine office, meaning Benedictine prayer life, starts in first thing in the morning with a with a prayer uh, moment that we call lauds, praise. We start praise. Okay, so I roll out of bed, I get down to chapel. Uh, they they're just beginning lauds, and and I find myself um, praising God. Yeah, well, well, nothing has happened yet. What am I praising <laughs> for? I could understand if in the middle of the day you stopped me to, to pray lodge, but you're doing it at 6 a.m. in the morning. What's wrong with your head? What's wrong with my head is what's in question. Lodge says whatever is coming is good for you. Don't miss it. Don't ignore it. Don't give it up. Whatever is coming today is good for you. That's the cultivation of the beginner's mind. I love that. I love that. That's excellent. Oh, my goodness. Now, let me ask you. I'm going to take you back to Henry because 
I mean, you have you have such a deep spiritual, uh, rich knowledge to share with us. But I'm kind of curious about how did Henry kind of impact you? Was has he influenced you over the years? Did you ever get to know him? What were the strengths and weaknesses you found there? I did not know uh, Henry um, personally. We met. We would meet uh, on on the speaker circuit. He'd be coming off. I'd be coming in. He'd be there overnight. I would be coming in the next morning. Uh, I had nothing but respect and affection for this humble man and his willingness to show the world that that our growth is an eternal struggle and an eternal awakening at the same time. Henry opened himself. He did not pretend to be anything more than what he was, and he was perfectly willing to allow, allow people to know who were slipping on their own rope over and over and over again that slipping on that rope was part of becoming who you are. He was a humble man. I would have loved to have known him uh, longer, better, and more deeply. Uh, that didn't happen simply because the paths were, were very very much alike and at the same time very different. So I, I would go into large groups and, and um, deal with their questions uh, Henry went into the smallest of small groups and allowed people there to begin the the walk with him. It, it's a it's a beautiful kind of like the bookends of the spiritual life. And so, I at the fact of the matter is, I think, and I am no expert on on Henry's opus of works, but what I do know. Uh, is that what you are doing is preserving this raw and wonderful faith and trust and and self-giving that is of the essence of humility to uh, people at large. Who can ever thank you enough for doing that? Because this strain of spirituality and of spiritual honesty cannot be be lost. It can't. Oh, Joan, thank you so much for that. I, I appreciate it. It's interesting because I think of late, particularly through these past difficult 18, 20 months of of dealing with the isolation and the yeah. challenges of COVID, yeah. we've become so aware through those readers who let us know how Henry's words have been a comfort and a, a source yeah. of hope and a source of encouragement to them. Yeah. And and I have chosen, as we, as we do podcasts, to reach out to people who can be that kind of a resource. And honestly, today, just listening to you, what a rich resource you are. I want to encourage people. First of all, I'm going to encourage them to get the monastic heart. I have a lot of Joan Chichester books on my shelf, by the way. And I just want to say, Joan is a person that if you get a chance to hear her, go hear her. If you get a chance to read her, be sure and read these books. They will deepen your walk. They will clarify and sweep away some of the stuff that's silly and really get down to the essence of what is important. You're you're a gift to us. We're the generation... Uh, of a church 
that needed to outgrow a lot of things to grow up. We, we're, we have a foot in two worlds, Vatican I and Vatican II. And, and those two worlds were, were like a teeter-totter. One day, you felt very Vatican I, wanted everything set and, and all the answers and, and all of the uh, uh, corruptions uh, fixed. And then you grew a little bit and you became Vatican II, who said, wait a minute, we, we're, we're not here to hide in a corner. We're here to be a shining light, uh, carrying uh, the light of Jesus in our own hands down the city streets so that other people can have faith, have certainty, have trust, and know that they're part of a community on the way to God. That, that's, when, you, when you put the two ends of this thing together, and which Henry does for us, he, he was one of, those, one of those people who was struggling with Vatican I at one level, uh, uh, gifting the world with his reading of Vatican II, and yet at the same time, very humbly and honestly saying to people, buddy, it's not easy. Keep going. Keep going. Your fullness is coming. Don't give up. And, and I, I, all I can say is uh, the spiritual life is a life. It is not made up of either false asceticisms or false holiness. It is this awareness that God is with me, is in the center of me, is companioning me through my life and will give me every grace I need to get there. God is not a magic act. God is not a vending machine. God is not a warrior. God is the presence and the creation of all life and mine too, and is in the center of me saying, come on, come on, you're doing really well. Don't worry, I'm right here. We're gonna get through this, everything's fine. Oh, Joan, thank you so much. I am so glad I got to talk with you today. Honestly, this has been rich and it's been life-giving, and I know it will be for all our listeners. I know. I want to thank you, Karen. I, I understand that these open-ended interviews are a risk, <laughs> and I admire <laughs> you deeply, and then for, for being willing to take other people into the conversation. That's really where the reflection that I'm talking about and the presence of the Spirit come in. God bless you, Karen, and uh, may, you, may you continue your work for years to come. Oh, thank you so much, Joan. Thank you. I am deeply encouraged by your, your response to what we're doing. It means a great deal to us. Thank you for today. Blessings on you, my dear friend. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. What an honor for me to spend time with Sister Joan Chichester. I truly enjoyed her latest book, The Monastic Heart, and I'm looking forward to returning to it as a guide to deepen my own spiritual journey. For more resources related to today's conversation, click on the links on the podcast page of our website. You'll find links to anything mentioned today, as well as book suggestions. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we would be so grateful if you would take time to give us a review or a thumbs up or pass it along to your friends and family. 
Thanks for listening. Until next time.